Welcome to the Sip and Feast podcast episode. We are not telling you the episode because we don't know if this one is going to be before or after the one that we film later today. Needless to say, this is probably going to be episode five or six for you guys. And what are we talking about today, Tara? We were talking about pizza and specifically your quest for the ultimate New York pizza recipe. And I feel like we should actually be eating pizza while we're recording this. I think we need a bigger table so we can get some pizza. Mm -hmm. Like we could have picked up a bunch of different pizza uh, from a bunch of different pizzerias. Yeah. I mean, we can do so many. Just so you guys know, this is not like one and done. This isn't Jim and Tower talk about pizza and then they never talk about pizza again. If you guys like this, we will talk about pizza for dozens of episodes. And if there's a couple things that I can talk about well, knowledgeably, and definitely give you the perspective of a typical New Yorker, I think pizza is it. Do you Mm -hmm. agree with me, Tara? Yeah, for sure. I think you could ask, stop any New Yorker on the street though, and they'll say the same thing for themselves. But based on everything that we're going to talk about today, I think you do have a great deal of pizza knowledge, especially when it comes to the dough. Thank you for saying that. And we will get into the dough and stuff, but I do agree with what you're saying. You could, this is one that is actually class is a huge part of this. I, I, to be honest with you, I think someone of lower class or economic status would probably have a complete different top 10 list of their pizzerias and probably know just as much, especially in their mind as someone who is, um, considers themselves some, you know, pizza snob or pizza expert. I I really think that's why these lists, and we did a little research prior to starting this. I was just, I said to Tara, I said, let's, let me just take a look at the best pizzerias in, and I just wanted to do New York City. Now, normally when you do these lists for New York City, especially now, anything post about 2015 will come up with the majority of the pizzerias being in the hipster areas of the city. So you'll have a disproportionately large amount of the pizzerias winning these awards in the Lower East Side, Brooklyn, specifically Williamsburg, uh, Greenpoint now is becoming a hipster area, Uh, Bushwick even, which is where my father's from, is becoming a hipster area. So you're starting to see a lot of the pizzerias coming up on the list. Now, some of these have been around forever, and that's that's a different discussion, but a lot of them are relatively new places, which, uh, to be honest with you, Tyra, I, did, I didn't even know a bunch of these places. Like, I've never heard of them. Same here, with the exception of a few. You know, LMB, obviously, we, we've heard Lombardi's of. Lombardi's was on the list. And, and these lists are all, like, you know, the spots get moved around a little bit. Titano's was on the list. I'm, talk, I'm trying to talk about old ones, guys. Uh, mm-hmm. Grimaldi's, Patsy's. Um, Defara, those are the old pizzerias and those, all those, and I'm, I know I'm missing a few, they typically always come up on the list, but then there was a whole bunch of other ones that were on the list too. And a lot of those newer pizzerias, I'll give one example. Scars is one, 2016, they opened and they like mill their own flour in the basement. So they're like really trying to turn the traditional New York pizza into something like like Michelin star status. Mm-hmm. And I would assume the prices are probably high, you know, per slice and whatnot. But it's a very popular pizzeria now that, again, you know, we haven't lived in the city in in 20 years. So these are all new for us. I, I was telling Tara, if I was to take the 
Wayback Machine you can go on and you can find the lists back then written by people in the early days of the internet of the best pizzerias in the city, it would be a completely different list. Completely different. You would have the, you would have some of those few, the original ones I mentioned, but everything else, those pizzerias didn't exist yet. Mm-hmm. So pizza, pizza in New York, even though everybody thinks of it's something that's been the same forever, is actually something that does continue to change. More so than Long Island. Long Island pizza, I would say, is pretty much been the same for a long time. Do you agree with that, Tara? Yes. Long Island pizza, as we know it, has not really evolved. I would say the way that it has changed slightly is that a lot of places no longer have just, you know, I just said, you know, again, I'm so so self-conscious about that. Hey, hey, hey. Don't worry. Yeah. Don't worry yeah. at all. Okay. So a lot of the New York pizzerias where they used to have the traditional toppings of pepperoni, mushrooms, sausage, meatballs, olives, peppers, now they have a lot of different toppings. Like the pizza we had the other night, for example, they had chipotle chicken, uh, bacon chicken ranch pizza, a lot of different options, which are all really good. But I would say that for Long Island pizza in particular, that's really the height of its evolution is going to those heartier, more fancy toppings. Yeah. I mean, so Long Island is divided uh, and, you know, we're we're jumping around here, but the Long Island pizza scene, you have the ones that are, have been around a long time. Uh, Probably they the person who owns it now started working in the pizzeria probably with his father. And his father, no doubt, was someone who moved from the city. Got, came out to Long Island, the suburbs. Long Island is the original suburb, so it's, you know, it has the, uh, it's the first suburb, they call it. The pizza here is prolific. It's it's crazy, the amount of pizza in, in Long Island. It's so, you just take for granted how much good pizza you have everywhere. But a lot of those people who came out here, they opened up that typical pizzeria. So like Tara was saying, those just those kind of toppings. And there wasn't much, I guess, ingenuity involved. Like they kind of like rested on their laurels for a long time. And, well, they perfected yeah. their pizza yeah. and it was working. And it's, in my opinion, it still works. I'd still, I would still opt for a plain slice of pizza over anything with toppings any day. I, I actually was surprised to he- read this, that pepperoni is the most consumed pizza in the United States, more so than a regular slice, which to me does not make sense. But I guess they're grouping Domino's, Pizza Hut, and all that in there, yeah. and that's probably the predominant order. Probably. So very surprising to me. And I and I read that in mul- multiple articles. So I know we're jumping around here, but what, Tara, point me back to True North. What are we What are we going to talk about right now? What's this, what's this next part about? So, Jim, I would, would really like to hear more about the quest you went on for the ultimate New York pizza dough. And the reason I say it was a New quest. York pi- New York pizza, you mean, not New pizza York dough. New York pizza, but, the, okay, yes. We need to define what New York pizza is. Yeah. Do you want to take a stab at it? So for me, New York pizza is a round pizza pie that's cut into eight triangular slices. Isosceles triangle. Have, or, well, I don't know if that's even correct. It's cut into eight slices. When you pick it up, the tip of the slice, the pointy part, kind of you would fold it in half. The point kind of flops a little bit. 
and there's usually a decent amount of oil on it. And it's just tomato sauce, mozzarella cheese, maybe a little bit of oregano. You, right? Tara did a great job. And I'm just going to, I'll further flesh it out right now very quickly for you. Most New York pizza, if you, and we're talking about slice shops, the exact pizza that Tara is describing, this is basically an evolution of Neapolitan pizza. The people who came here, brought their pizza with them, they basically stopped with those coal ovens, the wood-fired ovens, and they created this uniquely New York thing, which is the New York round slice that Tara's talking about. It will almost always use a couple ingredients. It all, all trumps flour. It's I know there's pizzerias that don't use it, but that is by far the most used flour in New York pizza. They also use grande mozzarella. They also use Stanislaus tomatoes. I know there's other brands, guys, but if you really just take those and then you have a standard dough that they make and each place does their dough a little differently, you'll come out with that oily slice that Tara's talking about that will flop when you hold it. It will not hold straight. Yeah, it's not like a cracker or anything like that. And it takes about six to eight minutes to do in a standard deck oven. Deck ovens in these pizzerias are all made by a few brands. So they're it, so it's basically, it, it creates a lot of consistency from pizza place to pizza place. Like a, a, a pizza worker, somebody who saved his money for a long time, he can go buy a pizzeria from someone who wants to exit the business and he can jump right in. He's going to probably be using the same oven mm -hmm. again. He's probably going to have all the same parts of that business that he's used to, the same mixer, everything jumps right in. So that's how we're going to define a New York slice. We don't want to confuse it with a lot of these very, very expensive, the pizzerias I talked about in the beginning, in the more trendy kind of hipster areas. Mm -hmm. Those That pizza is great. I'm not, I'm not trying to take anything away from it, but I wouldn't call that New York pizza. Mm -hmm. Would you, or do you think I'm wrong here? No, I agree 100%. Because those type of pizzerias you can find in other cities yeah. in the United States. Yep. But what you don't find in other cities in the United States is the standard slice shop New York pizza that are a dime a dozen in five boroughs and Long Island. That's what you don't find in other parts of the United States. Mm -hmm. So that was the pizza that I was trying to create. Your quest for creating the perfect New York pizza recipe was kind of a twofold quest, right? There were two reasons. One of them I would say is more business related. And I'll have you explain that in a second. The other one was more personal and also, I think, something that you wanted to do for others, like maybe even altruistic. Um, so maybe just touch a little bit on the business-related aspect of, of wanting to create the perfect pizza recipe, and then we'll go into the other reason. Yeah, so pizza, again, pizza in New York is a religion. It's Everybody's got an opinion. Everybody thinks that they have the best place. They're really dedicated to it. They really... Most New Yorkers can talk pizza very well. Mm -hmm. It's not relegated to Italian-Americans. It's not relegated to definitely not Italian people. An Italian person comes here. This is all foreign to them, like the pizza situation here. It's something that is just really, really ingrained in New Yorkers' blood. I don't, I'm not trying to say that people in other parts of the country don't love their pizza too. Mm -hmm. They adore their pizza, but- for here, I wanted to satisfy, and again, from the business angle, our website has a ton of recipes. And in order to like not have a content gap, because we just do Italian and Italian-American food, guys, for 90% of recipes. I know they're, you know I got a chicken fricassee on the 
on the website. We have a chili. We have stuff like that. And that's a whole nother discussion how people went nuts when I put beans in my chili. But, you know, um, I guess I, I like to stay, quote unquote, stay in my lane because it's hard for somebody like I, I can't get a criticism of what New York pizza is from someone who's living in another state. Right. They right away. They they they, because they don't know. They don't know what I'm trying to make. So so that that was the whole thing. I wanted to get that basically that topic gap filled. And it was a very tough thing because it was a lot of learning involved mm-hmm. to to do that. What was the two part about it that you were saying too? So the second part of the question was a more we know that you were trying to fill the content gap. That's the business reason. The other reason I think is kind of a more personal and even altruistic reason. And I think we kind of realized that when we were living somewhere else outside of New York, we lived in Minnesota for three years, we weren't really able to find a pizzeria close by that would give us that same taste of home, that New York taste. And we get comments from people all the time saying that they are new, they are New Yorkers. They were born and raised in New York. They've left. They live in the South or they live in Texas or they're in other parts of the country and they just can't find a pizza that tastes like home. So in my mind, I think a very big part of your quest for the perfect New York pizza recipe was trying to help those folks who we can easily sympathize with because we did experience that and we did live out in New York and you wanted to be able to give them a recipe that they could take and make in their home oven that would taste just like home to them, New York. A hundred percent right. So content gap was one thing. You can't be an Italian, Italian American site without having a lot of pizza. You can't be a YouTuber doing the food I do and not have 20 pizza recipes. Mm-hmm. That would, doesn't make sense. It's right. like, where's the pizza? Right. Where's the pizza, bro? Yeah. You know, so so that was it. But as far as like getting for those other people, that's really what I was trying to satisfy. And it, in order to satisfy them, I had to satisfy myself. And to satisfy myself, let's be honest here, it took a hell of a lot of time to get where, where I did with pizza. There was a lot of trial and errors. There's a lot of wrong information online too. That's part of it. So I spent a lot of time on pizzamakingforum.com and it's an it's a excellent resource, but now there's good information on there and there's bad information. The worst type of bad information is from people that sound like they know what they're talking about, but they don't know what they're talking about. This kind of infects the internet in general now. Right now, you might be saying, Jim, that's what you sound like right now, you know? Like, <laughs> But if you come out, and this is typically done by males more than women, I, I just, you know, I don't want to get, I don't want to go down that road, but it's the truth. You keep your head up, you, you're assertive, you talk well, you say this, this, and this, and people go, oh, this guy must be right. And honestly, a lot of sites that people consider like good information steered me the wrong way in the beginning. Obviously not going to go into any of them. But ultimately, the reason that they steered me the wrong way is to test. It didn't taste mm-hmm. how we needed to taste. So that was the ultimate thing. And it was so easy to test this because I could test it against not just Tara and my my kids and our our family. I could test it against my parents. You know, my parents have rarely stepped out of New York for their almost 77 years of existence. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they know pizza well. They've eaten at hundreds of these places. And if they tell you and they, when they take a bite and they're and they're like, eh, 
you're not there yet.、Mm-hmm. You're just not there yet. Yep. And again, I'm not trying to imitate the more fancy places. Those are amazing places. But like when people want a slice, that's not what they're looking for. Right. They're looking for the regular pizzeria that you walk into. You grab a few slices. You take, you take maybe a couple napkins. You blot the top. You walk out. Start grabbing it to eat it. Some oil runs down your hands. Maybe,、mm-hmm. maybe it gets on your shirt if you're a little messy eater. Oh my God, you're making me hungry. That's what it is. You know, those places will have a few things to put on your slice. They'll have like a little hot red pepper in、mm-hmm. one of those old school shakers. They'll、yeah. have a little bit of Parmesan cheese or pecorino, a little bit of oregano, garlic powder, garlic powder.、Yeah. That's it. That's the place. Yeah, that is the place that I was trying. To duplicate,、yeah. and this took a long time. So it took a lot of time, and it took a lot of flour specifically.、What's, how much flour did it take? A couple hundred pounds. Yeah, yeah. I、right? think you were getting deliveries. I、non-stop. think I did five fifty-pound、uh, bread flour purchases from the place I got it from. Guys, was Webster's store. So that's like a restaurant supply store. That's really awesome online. That you can get anything you need, not just the flour, anything for pizza making. So you can buy all the Stanislaus tomatoes, which You know, as we mentioned in the beginning, is used by a lot of New York pizzerias. You can buy all the proofing boxes, proofing tins, whatever you want to use to store your dough balls.、Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy all your peels. So in the videos, I've used a metal peel that makes it a lot easier to remove your pizza, and you use a wooden peel to launch it. Most pizzerias are just going to use a wooden peel the whole time, but it's more difficult actually making a New York pizza in your home oven. We'll get into it in a little bit after. It's more difficult because you don't have the advantage of a deck oven that's high, and you'll you, you know if you if you actually when you go to a New York place and you watch you sit there and watch the guy, you should just do that. Walk in there and watch him for thirty minutes or so. You'll see like how they're like using that peel and they're skilled. They walk it right into the oven、mm-hmm. and they're actually launching a pie. Yeah, it's impressive. And we went into that in a few other videos too about how New York pizzerias pretty much are the only ones that do launch the pies. Mm-hmm. It had a lot of pushback. People saying, "Jim, you're wrong. That's not the case." I- I'm telling you guys. I know you think I'm wrong. I'm not. The pizza screens are one of the most sold items for pizzerias, probably in the other 49 states. Yeah, and you're not saying that there's not you know one or two pizzerias that do launch. I think people confuse. But you're、it. saying the majority. People confused it. All wood fireplaces. Coal fire. They all have to launch. Yes. You can't use a screen for those pizzerias. That's not what I was referring to.、Right. I was referring to a place that's doing regular, trying to do like a New York pizza or say like Domino's, Papa John's, whatever. So just like that, those pizzas are not the coal and wood fire take two minutes to make.、Mm-hmm. You have to launch that, and you need to be turning immediately, or your dough. You know, you're you're gonna get you're gonna incinerate. Yeah, you're gonna、yeah. be completely black on one side. That's different. Those obviously those places can't use screens. And those places are good, and they're in they're available in all fifty states now. Yes, but again, I was talking about the New York pizza. New York pizza, it's an eighteen inch or twenty inch pie that's hard to shape and to put on your wooden peel. I mean, this is a massive pizza, and then you're launching that without a screen. It's very difficult to do.、Mm-hmm. So that that was a big part of that. That took me. That was the hardest thing to do. Launching a twelve inch pie, guys. Like if you watch YouTube videos. If you watch people who do it, it's so. I don't, and I'm sure they probably tell you if you do that with a 12 inch, and that's what I recommend you start with, or even smaller. It's so easy once you start shaping 
a 16 inch pie, which a 16 inch is kind of a little small. You know, I always talk about that. I yeah. hate that these, some of these pizzerias now around us locally are doing 16 inch pies and calling them their largest pie. Mm-hmm. I think that's a little, it, that's, that's not how it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be 18 inch pie. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you say, Jim, what's the difference between those two inches? It's a lot. It's a big difference mm-hmm. because you're talking the circumference of the whole entire pie. That's right. Can you talk a little bit about the water? Because I think one of the common misconceptions people have is that it's all about the water. You can't create a good New York pie without New York water. I made pizza with tap water, New York tap water, and I made it also with bottled water. I could not detect a difference. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything prove you know, like make a good case for it. How are you even going to do that anyway? Now you're dealing with taste testers again, yeah. and we all know the How folly. How scientific that is. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's not a science, guys. The whole taste test industry, we, we, we mentioned this a few times, it's all, it's it's a sham. People are selling, it's like you're selling the the look. Yeah. You're, are you into it? Yeah. So if it's not the water... Then what is it? What makes what gives the New York pizza its distinct taste? I think it's simply you got to have the good dough. Everything starts with the dough and basically ends with the dough. Once you know the other ingredients, like so here's the deal. You can buy grande mozzarella, you could buy Stanislaus tomatoes, mm-hmm. you can buy Sicilian oregano, you can buy the standard ingredients that are the tomato, you know, tomatoes I already mentioned that are going to go on a pie, but it's the dough. So the dough itself has to be a good dough. So most pizzerias in New York, now again, I'm referring to the standard slice shop. I'm not talking about those other places, Mm -hmm. which I I really think I have to keep reiterating here because a lot of those other places are not, they're not using a deck oven. Mm -hmm. They are using a wood, they're using a wood fire, Mm -hmm. coal fire. So the standard places are typically going with a 62 to 64, maybe 65. We do a 65. Actually, I do a 64. 64% hydration dough. So it's a, you know, it's a pretty dry dough. It's not a wet dough. And what are you doing with the dough to give it its flavor? You, are you just making the dough and sticking it in so I on col- the peel? No. So what I'm doing with the dough is I cold ferment it. Now, a lot of places don't do this. They have tried and true techniques that they do it. And I experimented with other ways too, to try to like, I wanted to make dough that tastes like New York dough, but also was easy for people to to make. And it's simple with the cold ferment because cold fermenting essentially means you're making your dough, you're mixing your dough together, you're kneading it, you're boiling it, and then you're putting it in the fridge to cold ferment. So it like slows down the ferment fermentation process because if you were just to mix your dough and then you're just to leave it out, for 24 hours, it would just, you know, go too high. It would collapse. It would, it would lose. You couldn't do it. So you do this and it actually, the flavor profile changes. So I don't know really the science behind it. I, Serious Eats has some good articles about it, about what, and, and this doesn't just work for pizza. This works for bread, bread making in general mm-hmm. a, a lot. You know, it's, it's, it's just a great technique, but the thing that's really good about it is it's easy and then you're left with a result that tastes just like your favorite slice shop. Mm-hmm. So they, a lot of these other places, they might be doing 
using uh, preferments. So they might be using a starter. They might be doing a poolish. They might be using a bigger B-I-G-A, which what? is like kind of like a thicker, thicker dough, like sponge almost, but it's not a sponge. So there's like a few things you can do. This is all like you can educate yourself on this from like French uh, bread baking books and everything. But there's a lot of ways to come to, to turn out a result, but you're not trying to turn out the best dough here or best bread. You're trying to turn out something that tastes like the New York pizza. So it's it's not it's not as technically like you don't have to do your stretch and folds. You don't need the sourdough starter. Mm -hmm. You can do it all without it. Uh, I use SAF instant yeast, which is pretty much the yeast of choice for these pizzerias too. Some pizzerias use, you know, they use active and um, they'll use different types. But SAF is very popular in the commercial space, bread baking. So, it, it, yeah, I mean, I try, I, I kept educating myself. To, oh, and I mean, we didn't even get into the actual brand of flour. So I'm not using all Trumps, which I, I made a decision not to use all Trumps because I, again, our audience who we're serving are people that want to do this, but don't want to go through the hassle of, necessarily having to buy 50 pounds of flour and you right. can't buy like five pounds of all trumps in a store. Right. I'm, I'm sure somebody's going to say, Jim, they have it where I am, but I couldn't find it. So what you could find was five pound uh, bags of King Arthur bread flour. Now, King Arthur bread flour, the protein content is not as high as all trumps. So you're missing a tiny bit there. Mm -hmm. I guess if you wanted to like one up, one up my recipe, go go buy the 50 pound bag of all Trumps from an online restaurant store. Yeah. And then the final thing was uh, diastatic malt powder. Now I didn't do it in the original videos and the original recipe, but that's like the icing on the cake. So that- What is a diastatic malt powder? So it's powder? like a malt barley powder. So it's, what it does is it's really used in bag bagel shops all use it. So it makes that really golden color, but bread bakers use it. All, you know, all different types of bakers mm -hmm. use it. Pizzerias, religiously use it. It basically turns your dough from a very blonde state mm -hmm. to almost like an orangey state. And you use that most recently in one of our recipes for the broccoli rolls. Yeah, those rolls guys are amazing. Let me just stop it here. Guys, when we do these podcasts, I always, uh, because we're filming with three cameras here and sometimes, these are Canon cameras, sometimes like you'll just lose the footage. So what I do to make things simpler is I do like 10 or 12 minute clips and then I stop it. So my, my feeling is if I lose one, mm -hmm. one clip, say I lose like the main camera for Tara and I that I'm pointing at right now, I'll still have the one with me. So that's, that's the thinking behind it. Or you could just film my face reacting to whatever it is that you're saying. Yeah, yeah, and just like- The her, eye rolling. Yeah, the eye rolling. The sighing. I do feed off a of Tara, <laughs> and I that's what I'm, this is what I'm getting at here, because I just, as I stopped this, we're probably, I don't know, 28 minutes into this, I said, I said, do I sound like a know-it-all? Do I, do I sound like a know-it-all, Tara? No, you, this is a topic that you have a ton of knowledge on. So you don't, to me, sound like a know-it-all, and I think you're, you seem really excited and passionate about this topic. Like you kind of almost have that look in your eyes, like a kid in a candy shop. All right. That's how I feel. I'm, I'm, That's how I, feel. I hope, I hope to you guys, and, they don't sound that way. And I, I, you know, to, to the point about you feeling passionately about this topic, I think 
I would like to say to folks listening, because obviously not everybody listening is from New York and they might be wondering, well, what's, what's the deal with, with New York pizza? Why, why are Tara and Jim so passionate about New York pizza? Why, why do people care? The way I would describe it is pizza is something that's embedded in our culture as New Yorkers, as long, I'm, we're Long Islanders. So it's a very important part of our culture. It's something that we grew up with. We all had our favorite pizzerias. And in fact, it's so much a part of our, our culture that when we were living in Minnesota, if I met or ran into another New Yorker, the first thing that they would say to me when they knew that I was from New York was they would recommend a pizzeria in Minnesota that had New York pizza. That was Joey Nova's pizza. And I'll give you an example. I was standing in line at Chipotle one day in Minnesota and the gentleman in front of me, he was wearing a Yankees hat. And I said to him, I said, are you from New York? And he said, yeah, why? And I said, well, I'm from New York too. And right away his like demeanor changed because I guess he was probably on the defensive, right? He was probably annoyed about yeah. being asked that. Yeah. So right away he warmed up and he was like, you have to go to Joey Nova's. It's the only pizza, I, uh, it's the only pizza I'll eat here. So something similar happened when we were in an Indian restaurant where we heard somebody from like three tables away talking with a loud abrasive accent and we knew right away they were from New York and we struck up a conversation with him and right away he talked about Joey Nova's. So I say all this to say that pizza is something that I think is a commonality amongst people from New York and it's something that we we are passionate about. And when we find a pizzeria that can kind of emulate the pizza that tastes like home, it's something that we find yeah. a connection. Yeah, I, so I, I, th I think that's well said. I was, I yeah, I really wanted, I, I, I joke, there's nothing more narcissistic than starting a podcast where you don't have guests on. We would love, we would like to have guests. Because essentially you're, you're telling the audience you need to listen to me for an hour or whatever, however not, long it is every time. We're not telling anybody they have oh, to no, listen no, to you us. Don't, and of course, guys, we, we're trying to make this entertaining for you. But I but I do joke, like I guess a natural evolution of a YouTuber is you make 10 or 12 minute videos, maybe 15, and then you say, oh, you know what? I'm just gonna do an hour now of me on a podcast so people can have more of me. No, you know what it is? We get a lot of questions about things like this. and. Pizza is certainly one of the things we get questions on all the time, whether it be on YouTube, on the website. So having a podcast episode where we are fleshing out the pizza topic, I think is beneficial. And for people who enjoy listening, hopefully they're they're enjoying this particular episode. But if not, I mean, everybody has their, they have free will. They can turn their button off. It's a bit of a tangent. We were talking about the roles. Yeah. So on that topic, your your New York pizza dough recipe that we have on the website, you can do so many other things yeah. with that recipe beyond just pizza. So what are, what are some of those things? What are some of your favorite things to make besides pizza with the pizza dough? Yeah. So one of my, one of the best things to make with it is a roll. So in other parts of the country, they might be called stromboli, but most places here in New York are calling them rolls. So you can do 
any type, any really anything you can imagine. Like the other night, we just got one uh, broccoli and cheddar roll from a place, and it was delicious. I have broccoli and uh, mozzarella rolls on on the website. We have a recipe for that. Mm-hmm. I also have a broccoli uh, a broccoli rob and sausage one. Delicious, but kind of like do, a hot pocket. It's like a hot pocket. You could do meatballs. You know, if you slice your meatballs, um, you can do chicken parm. You can do anything to your heart's content. It's easy to do because if you have your standard dough ball, so like have a dough ball that can accommodate basically your standard like 16, 18 inch New York pizza. Mm-hmm. You divide it not into eight slices, you divide it into four, though you can do eight. If you do eight, they'll be smaller. And then all you do is you put your ingredients in there and then you fold the point of that. So like the end of the pizza, you fold it over and you wrap it underneath and you have that beautiful looking roll. And if you guys haven't seen them and you're trying to imagine in in your mind's eye what I'm talking about, you can check our site. Mm -hmm. There's two of them there. You could also try to find some online, but this is like an interesting topic because though they're ubiquitous and everywhere in, in this whole New York metro area, there's not too many people making them online. There's definitely not a lot of recipe sites doing them. And part of that is because I I think, and again, tangent here, I think a lot of the makers of this stuff are kind of older. They never, never got the website done or they're mm-hmm. like old internet websites that don't work very well. But there's a lot of lost stuff, recipes, just kind of like the zucchini uh, soup one that we did too. Yeah, they're like not they're not too well known out there. So I think part of what we try to do is we do try to bring that stuff to the forefront so everybody Mm -hmm. can see it. So that's one thing you do with the pizza dough. You could also do pinwheels, which is another great thing. You do like a pepperoni pinwheel. You saw a beautiful you saw. So I did them a while back. We did a video Mm -hmm. for it. But you saw something that looked way better than the one I made the other night, right? So the pepperoni pinwheels that you have are probably, I don't know, three inches in height, right? The ones that I saw were maybe like an inch. They were almost like flat pinwheels. And I didn't know they were pinwheels. So I even asked the the guy behind the counter, I was like, what is that? And he was like, oh, they're pepperoni pinwheels, but they looked amazing. And they were covered with sesame seeds, which I love. In fact, there used to be a really good pizza place right around here. I remember that When place. I went to school in Stony Brook that had sesame seeds on their crust. Yeah, and that place was called New York Pizza. It was on uh, 347, right? That's a different place. Oh, okay. That's in Hop Hog. Oh, the place right. I was thinking was in Stony Brook, and I don't even remember what the name of it was. It's not here anymore. But anyway, they had sesame seeds on their crust. And again, that's, that's also another tangent. And I do put the sesame seeds on the rolls. They're on both rolls. They are on the rolls. You do an egg That's wash, right. and then you put the sesame seeds That's on. Right. But sesame seeds just it makes it look better, mm-hmm. and you do eat with your eyes. Speaking of eating with your eyes, there's another item that's found in New York pizzerias that is often an impulse buy because you get in, you're like, oh, I forgot about those. I'm gonna take six of them. Oh yeah, garlic knots. Garlic knots, and it's so easy. So if you're making, say, the pizza rolls, this is the best time to make your knots because. Often, a lot of times when you're making pizza and you get you start getting into the addiction of learning how to make pizza, you will make you're not going to cold ferment one ball. You're going to cold ferment four balls, mm-hmm. and those balls can be different sizes. You know, if, if you're going to do like a Sicilian, you'll have a much larger dough ball. You could also bulk ferment everything, then ball everything the next day, and then you maybe a family member says, you know, Jim, I don't want to eat pizza for the fifth night in a row now. So then you look all dejected and, mm-hmm. and upset and you say, okay, well, I'll just make a roll for myself. And then maybe when you make that roll, 
you don't need four of them because you're you know you're taking the four quarters of the round the round uh, pot you know the round pie that you just like made. Maybe use those other pieces to do some garlic knots. And for a garlic knot, you can go you can go at you can go super small where you're only using like 25 grams of dough, mm-hmm. or you can go all the way up to 100 grams of dough and have like really big. If you do like really big garlic knot like that, which a lot of pizzerias here in Long Island do, and they've been doing them more lately. They make the big, huge garlic knots, and then they cut them. They t- it's basically they're turning it into a sandwich roll, and then they cut them open, and then you put like chicken parm. I, w- I always wanted to do a video for that, mm-hmm. so I was going to do like a huge garlic knot, chicken parm in there. Can you describe for our listeners what a garlic knot is for those who are not familiar with it? Yeah, so it's just a knot of dough. You know, I didn't I didn't discuss like opening your dough your dough balls so you don't degas it or anything. And again, like we have recipes for all this. I mean, you're not learning to make pizza from. From, from this podcast. We're like we're trying to like just communicate, I guess, the obsession mm-hmm. of, of it, like the journey. But yeah, you would take some strips of dough, roll it out, and then turn then knot it. And you can knot it any way you want. You can mm-hmm. do like a long knot, you can do a couple different ones. You can make a whole wreath. I mean, remember you'll sometimes you'll see wreaths yeah. of garlic knots. That's done. right. Yeah. Yeah. And then what do you do with it? Oh well, then after you bake them, yeah. and you could bake them on on your on your steel like I've done. If you do that, you get you'll get like charring. You'll essentially get leoparding. Um, if you don't want that much, you can just turn your oven down to four fifty. And I know we didn't even discuss like using the steel. I do want to talk we'll, about we'll talk that. about that. But just to yeah. can you describe after you bake the garlic knot? What do you what do you do with it to so, turn it into a garlic knot? So you can do. Garlic butter. Yes. I, I make a garlic butter. I put a little bit of olive oil in there too. Mm-hmm. Lots of parsley, yeah. hot red pepper, and then pecorino. The pecorino and the salt is best put on after you toss them and you put all you put your garlic butter in a big bowl. Mm-hmm. Do a really big bowl, bigger than you need, because you're going to be tossing and you don't want all the butter, garlic butter going all over your face and everything. Then when you put them in the plate, that's when you put your salt and your pecorino on there. Mm-hmm. Now, pecorino is kind of salty. I still say put a little salt on there, yeah. add a little bit more parsley, then you know, just boom, you, you're you set. Like you're, oh, I'm just <laughs> thinking about it right now. I'm like, and it's been so long since I've made pizza for us, Tara. I know, you should really do it again. I made so much for such a long period of time. You, and, you spoiled us. And the videos never took off on YouTube. Like yeah. the, new, the New York pizza I did has like 700,000 views. There's videos from other creators that have 10 million views. Yeah. And it hurts me because a lot of these are done by people who aren't even from New York. It's, well, so it's, yeah, like, it's, it's like, you don't even know if you can't even like 100% take their word for it that they're actually doing it. Yeah. But, that all being said, the the pizza videos I did, they weren't the best quality. I didn't really know what I was doing yet at that time. Mm-hmm. So like my audio wasn't perfect. You can always remake them. I did yeah. all the good recipes when I started the channel. Mm-hmm. And it's because I wanted to like show my knowledge of certain things. Yeah. And, and, I, and I'm just going, I'm going to just put it out here. I didn't have a lot of knowledge about pizza making before I went on that well, quest. Well, that's the thing. You went on the quest and it was a journey and you learned a ton and now... I would consider you an expert. No, definitely not. And guys, one a, a great creator who has amazing bread making videos too is Brian Lagerstrom. So I, you know, he's not from New York, but I would consider his pizza making. And I don't know if he did a specifically a New York pizza. I, I would consider his videos like excellent. Mm-hmm. So we actually might have him on the podcast. So. Um, we're not sure well, when that would be, but I, I think he's going to be probably, he's probably making his own videos 
uh, for like New Haven pizza and stuff. So he's he's going to travel here at some point. So if we can get him on, we will. And we, we want to have uh, we want to have other people on other creators too, guys. So, you know, as I said before, even though I'm an ultra narcissist, I'm going to bring people on the show and let them talk. So it's a joke, guys. It's yeah. we're just starting the podcast here. It's not like we have like a whole bunch of people lined up. One of the key components to creating a New York style pizza at home in a home oven, not a special pizza oven, is the surface on which you cook it. And you did briefly touch on it, but in the, all the research you did, what is the optimal surface for a home oven. Yeah, so that that was, and that was part of the original New York pizza video that I did. I also showed how to prep a steel. So when you make pizza and you go on your journey, if you're trying to do like a New York pizza, like a standard round, you have to cook it on a stone. But it's been proven now for a long time, and I, you know, I didn't create the steel technique. What you're trying to do is simulate a deck oven. So like, if you go, we, we spoke about it before, if you go into these standard, regular New York slice shops, they'll have a deck oven and it's they're all made by like three companies. I think it's like Blodgett and I can't remember the names offhand, but if you go to these pizzerias and look, you'll see them. But they're like these rectangular, long rectangular ovens and pizzeria maker, op, you know, opens it up or the pizza, I should say pizzaiola, he opens it up and then he takes his peel that has the pizza on and he launches it into the oven and he closes the oven. So in order to simulate that at home, you need to use a steel or a stone. If you just try to do this in a pan, like an aluminum pan, it's not gonna work. Mm -hmm. It's not, you're not gonna be able to duplicate then what a round pizza. Right. So the round pizza, what makes it nice, like a New York pizza is it's about six to eight minutes. It doesn't get overly charred on top at all. It's, but it just gets a perfect bottom, like, browned bottom, like lightly browned, orangey bottom from the from the malt powder, perfect rise in the crust, kind of like a wetness almost to the to it when you bite it, like the dough itself at where the sauce and cheese meet, mm -hmm. and then the oiliness from the cheese and, and the actual oil that's in the dough mm -hmm. coming up. Why is the steel such a great an efficient tool for cooking pizza. So when the way you use it, guys, so we, we did a quarter inch piece of raw steel and we seasoned it with flax oil. There's, we have a whole uh, uh, instructional tutorial on our site, how to do it. And I also did it in the video. So if you're interested, there's also other people online who've done this as well. Basically you're making it like a slick surface where nothing will stick. Put this in the oven about four inches, maybe six inches. I normally put it in the top third of the oven, put it, beneath the oven, and then you heat your oven up to 550. That's typically what the highest in a regular standard home oven will go. If your, if your oven doesn't go to 550, 525 is okay too. Then you let it go for an hour. And then you can use one of those infrared thermometers. And I did it in the video too. You check the temp and I can get ours. And we have an old oven, like it's a G Spectra, old electric, in, electric inexpensive oven but it will get the steel to anywhere from about 610 to 630 degrees Fahrenheit, which is the exact temperature that New York pizzerias are cooking their pizzas in. Most of those deck ovens are cooking around that 550 to like 625 area. So you're basically duplicating everything. The steel radiates the heat better from the bottom, so you really get that perfect bottom on your pizza. Really, you're duplicating a deck oven. Yeah for cheap. Mm -hmm. And if you guys don't want to go through the process of buying raw steel and doing it yourself, 
seasoning it yourself. You can buy, there's, there's all different makers that like pizza making companies that sell these things pre-seasoned. Right. You just have to pay more for it. Yeah. But to be honest with you, and, I, and I'm like kind of like talking against our tutorial, it, you got to value your time. So right. if you're going to, if you're going to do this and you're going to buy the raw steel for 30 bucks and you're going to buy flax oil for $12, you're at 42. Mm-hmm. It's going to take you a lot of time because you mm-hmm. got to descale your steel first. You know, you do it with the vinegar. That's what you're taking off the mill scale of the steel. And then after that's done, you got to dry it quickly so it doesn't start rusting. And then you start doing your seasoning process, which you're baking it in the oven. This is a process, guys. It's like a, it's not, it's not, it's not a 10 minute yeah. thing. So it's really for people, I think, who are really into DIY stuff and are willing to put in the time to do it. Because I think there are certain people who just really get immense satisfaction out of satisfaction, doing projects it, yeah. like that. Satisfaction doesn't yeah. have a price. But if, yeah. if you're not into that, buy a steel. Right. Spend the extra money. This is a fun episode. I mean, I feel like I had to like I, I we didn't do a lot of research right here, but Tara, like you can see this paper in front of her. This is bullet points. So we know what to talk about. Mm-hmm. So like I don't veer too far off, which I always have a tendency to do. No, never. <laughs> so before we go into the listener questions, I think it would also be helpful if you could talk a little bit, because when we talk about New York pizza, we're talking about the New York round pizza, but there are two other types of pizza that I think dominate the Long Island or New York Metro pizza scene. And, yeah. and what are those two other types of pizza? So Long Island, it's more, it's more so it's the grandma pizza, though a lot mm-hmm. of, I mean, there's places in Staten Island now making it, but the grandma pizza was created in Long Island, but in Umberto's of New High Park. So it's very popular in Long Island. Like there's thousands of places that will make it, mm-hmm. okay? It's it's that ubiquitous here. It's not as much in the city, but I would still classify it as one of the three. You got obviously a New York Sicilian that is a reinterpretation, the Sicilian people that immigrated here. That's what they wanted to kind of like make something along the lines, but a traditional Sicilian pizza in Sicily will be uh, anchovies, cacciavallo cheese. Uh, the, it's called sfincione and it has breadcrumb topping. Yep. It's a delicious pizza, it a is. lot of onions in it. The Sicilian that evolved here is just, you, you kind of sauce. Oh, and that one has anchovies too. But the one that here is just, it's just a thicker one, mm-hmm. overly proofed one. Now and the it's fourth, square? The, it's square. A Sicilian is square. And you know, you can buy like pans that are made for these things because they're so... They're, they're, they're made so much in all these places that companies will just sell pans for it. Mm-hmm. The other pizza that, you know, I don't want to eliminate, of course, is like your standard Neapolitan pizza, which is the, you know, the brick oven, the wood fire, coal fire. Mm-hmm. Again, that's kind of niche, though, even though some of those places date back to the early 1900s, late 1800s, like Lombardi's in Manhattan, yeah. Totano's. And then New Haven has is all done that way. Yeah. So, but that is kind of very niche. Yeah. So, if you, what what I mean by niche, it's like it makes up like an infinitesimally small amount of the pizzerias. And those are harder to make at home too. You have to have a special oven. Yeah. For those. Yeah. But, Which you can buy now. They have that. They sell those little uni. Uh, right. And uh, I forget. Like they're like you hook a propane tank up yeah. to them. You, you got to do it outside, guys. If you yeah. buy one of those. Yeah. But can you describe? The grandma pizza, because there's a lot of folks who might not be familiar with it. Yeah, so grandma pizza is every Long Islander knows it, but there definitely there there's probably people who who live in the city that don't know it. 
Mm-hmm. May- maybe. Though I'm not sure about that. I mean, it is so popular. But but here it's just it's a rectangle pie that's thinner than a than a New York Sicilian. Mm-hmm. So it's not like it hasn't proofed as much the dough. You yeah. don't need as much dough. The major difference with with the grandma is that the cheese is put down first. So you put down and you use like rec like get you could go to like Slicing. a deli counter and have them slice mozzarella for you. Mm-hmm. You're not using the shredded yeah mozzarella. You're using slice. most places are doing the slices. Mm-hmm. Then they put sauce, so it's drained plum tomatoes, not pureed, hand crush them so you have big pieces of it. You put them on top of it so the sauce is going over the cheese, but not completely. Okay, you want to have that textural. Mm -hmm. And then you're doing your Sicilian oregano. Well, you Mm -hmm. could do that at the end. And then you're doing your garlic oil. Mm -hmm. So the whole idea, like why I wanted to do this, and everybody loves a grandma out here in Long Island. Like it... That one, some places you do a grandpa. I've, I've seen that too. I think grandpa has breadcrumbs on it. I'm not. I'm not 100 sure about that. I don't know. I don't know. So yeah. if got if maybe you guys are more Long Island than I am, and you can tell me, you know. But uh. it's nowhere near as much <laughs> to the point of like the way a grandma pizza is. Mm-hmm. And I watched a video of the owner of Umberto's in New Hyde Park. Now this video was probably filmed in the late 90s, so it was a long time ago, but. I think he's doing the same way. He had like the oil can, which they use in a lot of pizzerias, but then the garlic on top of like with the oil, I was like, oh, that's such a good idea. <laughs> so I do it now and I don't just do it. I do it for all, a lot of yeah. different pizzas. Yeah. You just made me think of a comment that somebody gave us the other day. You said more Long Island than you. Somebody said that they doubted whether or not you came from Long Island because you said in Long Island, as opposed to on Long Island. And yeah. Long Islanders typically say, oh, on Long Island. Yeah. And you say in all the time. So they doubt it, the validity yeah. of your Long Islander status. Well, if I'm not from there, where, where do you think I'm from? <laughs> <laughs> A lot of people say you sound like you're from Boston. No, Boston would be, it wouldn't be car, it would be ca. Yeah. It wouldn't be... Um, park, it would be pack, mm-hmm. you know, so it'd be, uh, uh, I would say park the car. Mm-hmm. They would say pack the car. <laughs> <laughs> I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not so much, right? Yeah. So Jim, just changing subjects quickly, and then I do want to get into some of the listener questions. You had mentioned, or someone had mentioned to you that you should open up a restaurant and there is I, I know you feel strongly about not wanting to do that, yeah. but I think that there is one type of restaurant you would like to have. Okay, so I don't, and I'll just preface this by saying, like, we, we don't want to talk money with you guys at all. You guys don't want to hear about that. You expect us to make the videos for you, and you, I'm sure you probably hope we do okay financially with this, but you definitely don't need to know the exact uh, in the weeds with it. But this gentleman emailed me and basically he was really ni- nice email. And I don't think he was trying to be condescending at all, but no, he, was, all. he was basically telling me, he's like, you got to stop doing what you're doing because it's not secure. You got to open a restaurant. And there's nothing more insecure than opening a restaurant, guys. It is that has the highest amount of bankruptcies and turnovers than pretty much any business. And if you don't take my word for it, just use the Google machine. You know, it will tell you whatever we all know. And we all know this because think about your favorite restaurants in the past. 
Just think about even what you where you were going to eat in the early 2000s. Are any of those places mm-hmm. around right now? Yeah. And I those think, aren't those aren't success stories a lot of times, guys. Yeah. Those are heartbreak when those places close. Yeah. And I think we it became even more evident how difficult a profession it is to run a restaurant during the pandemic. That was the icing on the cake. And we have a friend who owns a restaurant who's been who's owned it for probably over 10 years now. So he's actually what you would call a statistical survive like survivor. It's not it's not that common for people to own it that long. And especially like he's like an individual. So it's not a lot of these other like famous celebrities you see like Michael Simon, Bobby Flay, they have like huge backers behind them. So they close restaurants like you take a sip of water. There's no skin on their back. It doesn't matter. Move on to the next idea. I mean, Bobby Flay's opening an Italian restaurant now in in yeah, Borgata, right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, if it does well, that's great. If it doesn't, it's not going to be any skin on Bobby Flay's back. He's still going to be worth $200 million. But that's the restaurant group scene. But the individual restaurant owners, it's filled with heartbreak and everything. So, Jim, where are you going with this? Uh, what I'm saying is I would do it when Tara and I have enough security. So that means that maybe our site, who knows, in the future, maybe that's sold to a company. Though we would love to keep it forever, guys, because we love all of you. You know, We love the audience we have. Uh, maybe we just hold on to the videos and we earn from there. But we'd be in a situation where the restaurant and I would love to do this, but I do not want to be in a situation where I need that, where I need a, a substantial profit from my restaurant. I would love to be able to take care of my employees really well and to do what I want to do in the restaurant, not what has to be done to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. So I would want to have a pizzeria slash little, almost like trattoria, like very small, where I have like maybe five or six tables. So maybe the place holds like 20 people, 30 mm-hmm. people, 30 customers max. And I'm doing a few different pies. I'm not I'm not one of these regular pizza shops that's like, oh, I'll do anything for you. No, that's not that's not how it is. Like I'm gonna do my best, try to make the best stuff, but only be a few pizzas. And then I will do a limited menu, but that menu will change all the time. And I'll be able to do all this because I won't have to worry about having to make this big profit. Mm-hmm. That would be my dream. Wouldn't that be your dream too, Tara? Yeah, that would be great. And I think the best place for this, guys, would be in out east in Long Island. It would be on the North Shore. It would be that Mattituck, South Hold, Greenport area, which is severely lacking in those type of establishments. Do you agree that it's lacking in those type of establishments? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I don't spend a whole lot of time out there, but I think that I would think that the pizzerias are kind of few and far between. They I mean, it's, are. It's most honestly, it's mostly it's mostly farms. Yes. That are out there. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, we were in Greenport recently. I didn't see a pizzeria. There were more coffee shops than than pizzerias out there in Greenport. Well, there's the best coffee shop. I know you love that. The, she Aldo. Loved her favorite place is Aldo. Aldo is up there with the best coffee here. Closely yeah. followed by. Our friends at Druthers Coffee. Yeah, she Stony likes Brook. she likes Druthers. Yeah, which we live in the Stony Brook area, and um, basically, Pete's good pizzerias, in my opinion, get a lot fewer once you kind of pass kind of where we are. Not even honestly, you kind of probably the the Comac Hopog area, and then that's where they kind of start to slow down a lot. Yeah, it does. Although there are, we've got, I can 
probably think of four pizzerias that are good that are right in our immediate area. Yeah, we have a no, so we have a lot of good ones that are right here, and some sometimes they're hit and miss. They'll be better than others. We don't want to hurt any business or really. We don't really have an incentive either to like prop up one place. Not that not that you guys are going to flock there anyway. Um, we live. We're a ferry ride away from New Haven, so we did the we bought New Haven Pizza recently, mm-hmm. right from mm-hmm. a famous place there. Yeah, and uh, you know that's an experience because it, it, we were remarking not to get into like which is better, though. You know, I have my opinion. Tara has hers. The difference, though, you can get an amazing pizza here, and like at dozens of places in a matter of 15 minutes. Yeah, there, easily. There, I had to fill out, I had to order it online, mm-hmm. I had to put all my information in, and then we had to wait over an hour for the pizza, and we had to get in mm-hmm. line in a turnstile thing. It was almost like, well, you were only it was allowed, absurd. You were only allowed into the pizzeria when your pizza was ready, and you went in, yep. picked it up, and you had to t- immediately turn around and leave. There was no hanging out in the pizzeria waiting for your pizza to, to cook. It was not a good user experience by any means compared to what I'm used to. If I w- need to pick up a, a pizza here, I just that's I'd, because of that's because of what happened the last couple of years, right? That's why I don't know. I, I would think, I, I've I would think never that's been why. to New Haven prior. Yeah, there's not a lot of that. pizzerias there, guys. It's like you know, it was basically called like they won a lot of awards yeah i think over the last 20 years but there's not a lot of pizzas there i mean we drove the whole area it was like a few blocks mm-hmm. right yeah and, again like not an expert here guys but it was not i i mean there's more pizzerias in a couple towns here than there is in all of new yeah. haven it was just for me it was a little too difficult to obtain a pizza pizza should should be easy. And we remarked the other day because Tara got me three slices from a place that we go here fairly often. Mm-hmm. She got me pesto with fresh mozzarella and plum tomatoes, slices mm-hmm. of plum tomatoes. Fresh plum tomatoes. Fresh yeah. plum tomatoes, yeah. It was delicious sliced. And she also got me crumbled sausage and broccoli rabe mm-hmm. slice. And then she also got me a chipotle chicken slice, yeah. which was like in a grandma style. So like, you know, square, square cut. And I remarked as I was eating the pizza, enjoying it immensely, that this was so easy to get those three slices. Mm-hmm. If we went across on the ferry, it would have been, it would have been a, yeah. two hours. I just, you know? I, you know, time is, is precious to yeah. me. So for, for me having to spend a lot of time and put a lot of effort into getting a pizza, it's not worth it. So it might be different now. Uh, pizza was good at the place we went to in New Haven, different, it was coal, coal fired. Mm-hmm. So it was very charred. And I think that's how all the pizza's done in New Haven. So it's, this is a very old pizza pizza place. So mm-hmm. Italian immigrants came there late. These, some of these places date back to the late 1800s and they've like the same oven, the same buildings. So they're making it that old Neapolitan way. Mm-hmm. You yeah. need a lot more skill to make these pizzas, Yeah, which has, could, could hurt if you don't have a good person, you know, you run out of a good worker, uh, the pizza can incinerate quickly. Yeah. But I thought it was good. Uh, my only critique is that it just, it was a little too much effort. Yeah. So Jim, let's, let's get into the listener questions now. One of the questions I think fits in nicely with the theme of this episode, because it does, it's somewhat related to, to dough. The question was, at what stage of focaccia making does one poke holes into the dough? Is it after you've shaped it and put it in the pan or after the second rise before going into the oven? 
they can't seem to get a clear indication of when this happens. Probably the reason you can't get a clear indication is that all recipes are different. And I would say if you ever like want to do an authentic Italian recipe, don't go to YouTube, don't go anywhere but Google. And when you search, only go to Italian websites. So you have to use Google Translate. Mm -hmm. .it, right? right? That's what- That'll give you a better, a, a better chance of getting mm -hmm if you want like that. Now, focaccia is very unique in Italy. It's all different. There's, you know, Calabrian style, like there, some are thin, some are very thick. There's a million ways to make it. Your specific question, you can poke holes initially, but when you, if you let it do another two hour rise, it's just, those holes are just all gonna fill up again. It's right. the dough itself is lifting. It's all rising. The, poking the holes doesn't stop that process from continuing again. So you can initially, mm -hmm. or you can just, after your two hour rise, make your holes and you can use like your pinky finger. Mm -hmm. So you're getting like, from the, the way the question is worded, I think uh, she's looking for, she wants that really extreme holes. So, you know, if you want those extreme holes and everything and like that, that awesome texture, probably your dough too, you're gonna wanna have like a really high hydration dough, like mm -hmm. 80%, maybe a stretch and fold. To, basically any technique you can do that's gonna add more of that like, you know, air in there. So increase the crumb of it. Mm -hmm. And then you would poke your holes and then you'd get it in the oven. Jim, what's your favorite outrageous pizza topping? And I will just, before you answer that, I think we could have an entire episode on pizza toppings, especially those that infuriate people. Oh yeah. Like oh. we know like the pineapple. I don't get infuriated The pineapple thing that. makes people so angry. But what is your quote unquote outrageous pizza topping? That, okay. you, that you like. I don't think I've ever ordered a pineapple pizza in my life, I, but I don't get offended either. I'm doing my best to never get offended in general because so many people get offended with the food that I make. Right. It, it, it makes me want to go the other way. So mm -hmm. we deal with 20 to 30 negative comments a day. So people will be like, you know, from kill yourself to, you know, you didn't do it the way, exactly the way my Nona did it. It makes me want to go the other way. So if you want your pineapple and ham, go for it. I'm not too big of a fan. What I would say, like a unique slice, I mean, this is funny, but we're going old school here. We're going to actually sfincione, like the real deal. Which, so you want like lots which you of don't anchovy? Find, you don't find too much in any pizzeria, guys. You know, if you ask pizzeria to do anchovies, they'll put anchovies on it. But if you find a pizzeria that will do a real, that real Sicilian sfincione, that is a delicious pie. Mm -hmm. And we've had those pictures for over a year yeah, and we haven't put it out on the on website the yet. We gotta do that. Doesn't your dad put like anchovy fillets on his pizza? Yeah, he like loves- whole fillets? He, and I love them too. Yeah. I, I will, I can open, you know, people always go, well, I don't wanna open up a, a, a tin of anchovies. What am I gonna do with them? You know what you do with them? You eat them. They're delicious. Like, you love them. You make like a, make a good Caesar salad. Yeah. You don't wanna just blend two anchovies into your, in, into your dressing. Do that, or three or four, but then take some whole anchovies, maybe just chop them into like thirds and then put them in there. Mm -hmm. So good. It's such a nice, salty, deliciousness to it. And I don't buy the anchovies anymore. Buy the cans, guys. I buy them by the jar. So you, you go, you get a big jar of them mm -hmm. and then you can just keep them in your fridge. Yeah. And then, you know, the oil will congeal, but then you just run it under hot water and open up. Okay. So one final question, which we get asked a lot. What's the deal with the sip part of Sip and Feast? Will you ever do episodes on the sip part? It was a different time when we started the site. That was six years ago, and it was 
it was it was myself really because Tara was you know full fledged into her career and this was kind of like we were you know we spoke about this in episode one about everything how how everything came to be but it was not we weren't anywhere near where we are now it was really I started this to do something a little bit on the side and now it's you know Tara's here so. In the beginning, Sip and Feast was, I said, it'll be nice to put drinks on the site too. And Sip and Feast originally was not even, it wasn't even an Italian food site yet. It was, I was just going to make all food. Mm-hmm. I went I went into the Italian niche just because it's what I grew up with. So it was like easy for me to kind of share with you guys the stuff that I know the best. But um, drinks were an easy way to build content quick because they say when you start, you got to have at least like a hundred recipes before anybody will at all start to care about you. So I was like, okay, if I do 50 drinks and 50 food to this day, there's not even, I don't even think there's 50 drinks on there. Because also I stopped drinking so much. So I haven't drank too much alcohol in the last two years. Essentially over, I think it was over two years ago. It was, I, um, I just stopped drinking completely. So and then I probably went like six months, I think, without having anything yeah. to drink. And that was instigated by Tara, who stopped drinking probably two years prior to that, right? So yeah, in 2020, I just decided I didn't wanna I didn't wanna drink alcohol anymore. So really for health reasons. Um and I and I stopped and you know, I'll have one maybe on a quarterly basis, <laughs> like four times a year, I'll have one. But I found a lot of ways to enjoy other types of of drinks when i'm kind yeah. of craving a an alcoholic beverage like whether it be seltzer or non-alcoholic beer or, yeah, or whatever we, oh our seltzer situation has yeah i love seltzer but that that has risen tara's got like every flavor imaginable in the garage yeah there's it's coconut's my favorite but um when we when we do create recipes or photograph recipes and put them up on the website for drinks, I do take a sip. Oh, I do. Because yeah, we, I need, do too. we need to make sure that what we're making tastes yeah, we just shot, good. We just shot four drinks recently. Like whenever you hear this, doesn't matter. But two days prior to filming this, we shot photos for Americano cocktail, which is a great cocktail, guys. It is. All right. that's It's simple. It's Campari and sweet vermouth. Yeah. And that's soda. actually- like slightly lower on the alcohol scale. It's slightly lower on the alcohol. It actually was created by the creator of Campari. Yeah. So like it, it date this drink dates back to like 1860, and it's probably more popular in Italy. Though it, a lot of these things that were in Italy that were there forever are only brought here at some point, and a lot of them are brought by Brooklyn hipsters, believe it or not. Because the other drink we made was with an Amaro and- Amaro. What was the drink that we did there? A paper plane. Yeah, it's called a paper plane. That was, I believe it was created in, in probably in Williamsburg. I might be wrong, but- I actually am wrong, guys. It was created by Sam Ross. He's a New York City bartender. I'm just reading from Wikipedia right now. He's a New York City bartender and modern cocktail extraordinaire. He developed the paper plane cocktail in 2008 for- the opening of the Violet Hour, which is a bar in Chicago. Amaro. 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 Excuse me, guys, for pronunciation. Amaro became very popular in that area probably about 10 years ago. You'll mm-hmm. see a rise in all these cocktails right around that time. They like they don't exist on the internet, then boom, they're everywhere. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so we did that one. Um, 
We that was that was a strong drink. That that was strong. Well, that was all alcohol, yeah. right? So that's something you serve in a in a coupe glass. Whereas the americano had a, a decent amount of club soda in it. And then the other one we did was the Lille Spritz. Lille Spritz, which is which... Lille Blanc Prosecco and club soda. And we also reshot the photos for the classic Negroni. Yes, we reshot the Negroni because I and that's what we do. I'm always trying to reshoot my photos, make the site better. Mm-hmm. You know, who knows what's going to happen with ChatGPT and MidJourney. Now I could probably just hit a button and have everything redone for me Im- immediately. But for now, everything is created by us, just the two mm-hmm. of us. And that that's how we do things. Yeah. But yeah, as far as drinks go with the sip, that's that that's the issue there. I still do have a drink every once in a while. When we go to sushi, I'll have sake. Mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for warm sake, even mm-hmm. though warm sake is supposedly like low end, right? Like yeah. you're supposed to drink the expensive cold uh yeah. brewed sake. You get a bottle of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't do that yeah. though. I like the warm. It's just, it's something about the play with the cold sushi and mm-hmm. then the warm sake. Yeah. If you could also get that play with green tea, warm, warm green tea. That's what I drink Yeah, when we go to the sushi place. But I'll have like a glass of wine if we go to a steakhouse. Like if we go to like one of the nice steakhouses, you just have to have a glass. I feel yeah. like I have to have a glass of red it's just, wine. You're just that. not like, you're not drinking like you know, every weekend or so out no, of habit. No, It's really kind of a few and far between based on whatever experience you're, yeah. you're having. And we are going to do a video for those spritzes. And mm-hmm. that's, so that's like in a long, long ways about answering why it's become more feast. That being said, I'm not rebranding. We're actually having our website completely redone from the, from the ground up, which probably, maybe by the time you're even listening to this, it'll probably be done. And it's going to be new. And we have the trademark for Sip and Feast where I'm I'm just not going into the rebranding, not even thinking yeah, about it. Because no. I, I actually love the sound of it. Well and Sip. We're gonna doesn't, have we're gonna have L, we're gonna have LED uh logo right on the wall yeah. in back of us. And sip doesn't have to be alcohol. There's plenty of non-alcoholic beverages, and there's also what is my favorite non-alcoholic beverage? It's coffee. I mean, we can definitely Talk about that too. So sip to me doesn't have to just mean an alcoholic drink. I agree. And speaking of sipping, I hope you are sipping something good during this episode. Send us your questions, your comments, anything you like to podcast at sipandfeast.com. I said it in the past. I'll say it again. If you want to send us a video question, feel free to do that too. Mm -hmm. You can send it to me, send it to that email. We'll add it in. But again, nobody's you're not getting anything different by watching this versus listening to it. We're trying to satisfy all of you guys, and we appreciate every single one of you showing up and uh, giving us your time. Definitely. See ya. Thank you.